The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences and is suitable for all ages. Hello, this is Erin, and I'm one of three co-creators of Listening Pond, stories for kids and their adults. My cousin Asa and I take turns writing and narrating the stories, and my brother Eric composes an original soundtrack for each story. Asa also creates an illustration for each piece, which we feature on our social media accounts. While our primary goal is to entertain kids and adults of all ages, we also like the idea of putting something positive into the world. So many of our stories address challenges kids face every day, confronting fear, embracing and celebrating difference, and managing jealousy, just to name a few. This sample episode is my version of a fairy tale entitled The Milkshake Trap. And without giving anything away, I can tell you that I think this story, as my six-year-old son says in the intro, will be big fun. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. To another episode of Listen to Pod. This story is gonna be big fun. The Milkshake Trap. Once upon a time, in a large kingdom was a small village with a big secret. The big secret of this village, the secret that every citizen promised to protect from the time they learned to babble and walk to when they were old and wise and gray, was quite simple. The secret was the very location of the village itself. Everyone in this kingdom knew the village existed, but nobody knew where it was. And the reason for this was also quite simple. The village had a garden. And in this garden, they grew fruits and vegetables. But as you may suspect by now, this was no ordinary garden, for this was no ordinary kingdom. While the village in our story was comprised of humans who lived in human-sized houses and rode on human-sized bicycles and slept in human-sized beds, across much of the kingdom lived villages full of giants. And these giants were enormous. The smallest among them was still at least three times the size of the tallest person in town. Most giants were taller than an oak tree, with heads like small boulders and hands the size of bicycle wheels, and inside their mouths that, if they opened very wide, a small child could crawl into, were teeth like long knives. 
I would like to point out now, before any small children listening become too frightened, that a giant would never eat a child. If a child were to crawl inside the mouth of a giant, it would spit it out with a big patooey, in much the same way you might spit out a piece of spinach-flavored candy. Giants didn't eat humans. In fact, giants only ate fruits and vegetables. And they couldn't get enough. If you put a bathtub full of fruit salad in front of them, they would noisily snarf each morsel of crunchy apple, each tangy blueberry, each pillowy slice of banana until the tub was empty, and then they would roar for another serving. I said giants wouldn't eat children. I never said they were polite. In fact, they were the opposite of polite. Yes, they would eat 100 cucumbers and then demand a hundred more, all while chewing with their mouths open. Yuck. You might begin to understand why this village kept their garden a secret. As I mentioned before, this garden was special. The mayor of the village was a woman named Alice. She was also the head gardener and a horticulturalist. That's a special word for someone who studies plants and helps find the best ways to make them grow. And Alice was a very good horticulturalist. Many years ago, before her hair turned gray with age, she studied the soil and she studied the climate. She tested different ways to feed the plants. Sometimes she put grass clippings and eggshells in the soil. Sometimes she put tea leaves and animal poop. She watered them with hot water, cold water. She tried milk and she even tried lemonade. The plants did not like that very much. Sometimes it worked and more often it didn't, but every time she failed, she wrote about it in a leather-bound journal that she kept in her desk drawer. Finally, finally she found the perfect combination. One morning she walked out into the fields of her village and found rows and rows and trees and trees full of giant-sized fruits and vegetables. Tomatoes the size of soccer balls raspberries the size of baseballs, carrots that you could use as baseball bats, stalks of asparagus as tall as your little brother. The bananas were so big that sometimes the children used their peels as sleeping bags when they went camping in the woods. The people of the village were so pleased, they elected her mayor that very day, and ever since they all worked together to grow the enormous fruits and vegetables that they sneakily took to the market every Saturday and sold to the giants. Everyone had a job to do, from planting the seeds to weeding the garden to carefully harvesting each oversized zucchini or watermelon and packing them in large wooden wagons. If the garden was ten times the size of a regular garden, it was also at least ten times the work. In fact, they had more fields than they were able to farm. But it was worth it so that everyone in the village was able to live in warm homes and have food and medicine and, just as necessary perhaps, bicycles. 
for one of the most important jobs was bringing all those fruits and vegetables to the market. It had to be done very carefully so no one would discover where they came from. Alice, of course, had devised a plan in her notebook, and every week they followed her instructions to the letter. The villagers met at the gazebo in the center of the garden as soon as the sun went down. They attached the wagons to the back of their bicycles, and then at midnight, guided only by moonlight, they began their journey, traveling deep into giant territory, a long, colorful, but quiet parade of bicycles and produce. They arrived well before dawn and began to set up their giant-sized stalls in the town square. And by the time the sun rose and the giants all stumbled sleepily out of their beds and headed to the market to do their grocery shopping for the week, the villagers were ready for business, having appeared as if by magic. All day long, they sold their delicious garden treats to the giants. Because they had the biggest and best fruits and vegetables, they always had the longest lines, and sometimes they had to ask the giants to behave as they were prone to shoving matches with each other if they got bored. And they regularly had to stop fistfights when there was only one apple left and two hungry giants who wanted it. And then, at the end of the day, they waited until every last giant put on their giant-sized pajamas and went to bed, and every last light in the windows of their giant-sized homes went dark. Then the villagers quickly hopped on their bicycles, and by the light of the moon they rode home, checking over their shoulders to make sure no hungry giants followed them to their village. For if even one giant laid eyes upon their fields of seemingly endless veggies and their rows upon rows of fruit trees, they would likely eat until their tummies were stretched and swollen, and then they would eat some more until nothing remained but bare branches and trampled stems. Perhaps you're thinking that Alice and the rest of the villagers were being overly cautious. Surely no one would be rude enough to sneak into someone else's garden and eat every last stalk of celery, every last floret of broccoli. But I suspect you have never met a giant. For in the giant village, there lived a giant who was plotting that very thing. Grashlin Dinkledorgan. Grash, for short, was one of the biggest, rudest, grumpiest, and hungriest giants in the whole village. Even other giants were scared of Grash. And he had been trying to figure out where the human's village was for quite some time now. He thought he would wake up very early and see from what direction they rode their bicycles into town. But then he slept through his alarm clock. So he decided he would stay up very late, and he sat by his window with a pair of binoculars, watching, waiting for them to leave. But he fell asleep and woke up at his kitchen table the next morning with a crick in his neck. But Grash was more clever than he looked, and he came up with a plan. There was a boy named Tommy who came to the market every week with his grandfather, and Grash noticed that Tommy was particularly fond of his bicycle. 
It was red and shiny, and every week it seemed like he had some new accessory. New streamers for the handlebars, a wicker basket on the front, a safety helmet with lightning bolts on the side. One Saturday, Grash approached Tommy as he was cleaning dirt from the tire treads. His grandfather was busy haggling with another giant over the price of a beach ball-sized plum, so the child was all alone. Grash crouched down very low so he could look at the boy face to face. What a lovely bicycle you have, he said. He wasn't sure if he used the word lovely correctly. It was not a word typically used by giants. But he didn't think the boy would respond well if he called his bicycle smelly or horrid. And indeed, the boy's face lit up at the mention of his bicycle. Thanks, he exclaimed. I put the taillights on myself. The giant continued. I've always wanted a bicycle just like that. Where did you get it? Now, this was actually true. Grash had secretly always wanted a bicycle just like Tommy's, but that wasn't why he was asking. He was trying to trick the poor boy. And Tommy proudly told him that he bought it at Stanley's Bike Shop, the best bike shop in the whole kingdom, which happened to be located in his small village. And then the sneaky giant very casually asked him, How do I get to Stanley's Bike Shop? Now, if the giant had asked him how to get to the garden, the little boy would have no doubt crossed his arms and shouted, No way! Ever since he was a baby, he was told never to reveal the secret of their garden or the location of their village to any giant. But he had never specifically been told not to talk about the village bike shop. And Tommy considered himself a helpful sort of little boy, so without thinking, Tommy told Grash how to get to the bike shop, not realizing he was also telling him how to get to their village. Grash roared with laughter, and the ground trembled beneath the boy. His bicycle shook. The stalls in the market shook, and the vegetables wobbled, and one perfectly ripe tomato fell to the ground with a loud splat. Everyone stopped and was quiet. All eyes were on the giant as he stood up and patted the boy on the head with one grubby finger. He grinned meanly, showing off all of his sharp teeth before he thundered, Thank you, little boy! Tomorrow I shall begin the long journey to your village, and by week's end I shall find your garden and have the biggest feast I have ever had. And then he shouted, Wahoo! and stomped away, leaving behind the stunned and fearful villagers and one squashed tomato. Late that night back at the village, all the townspeople had an emergency meeting at the big gazebo. Alice stood at the center and pounded the gavel on a podium to get everyone's attention. 
Grash the Giant will be here in just a few days, and if we don't come up with a plan, he will eat every last green bean and nectarine in our garden, and we'll have nothing to sell at the market, and no food of our own to eat. The villagers began to shout out ideas. Perhaps they could build a huge wall around the garden. Oh, there weren't enough bricks for that. Plus, a giant could easily knock down any wall they might be able to build in such a short amount of time. And if they did succeed in building a wall that could keep a giant out, how would they get in? Next idea. Maybe they could dig a large moat around the village. But again, any moat large enough to keep out a giant would also trap them inside. Back to the drawing board. At the back of the crowd, Tommy stood with his grandfather. He felt terrible for what had happened, even though no one blamed him. They understood that Grash had tricked him, and no one was mad, but that didn't make him feel any better. In fact, it made him feel worse. Everyone in the village was so kind, and he was so worried about what would happen to them all if their garden was destroyed, it was making his stomach hurt. As the suggestions came and went, dinner time too came and went. Someone passed around a basket of grapes for the villagers to snack on, each one the size of a fist. When his grandfather offered him the basket, however, Tommy shook his head miserably. His stomach hurt too much to eat. His stomach hurt too much to eat. An idea came to Tommy, and before he could figure out if it was a good idea, he blurted out, What if we give him a stomach ache? There was silence, and then a few snorts of laughter, followed by some giggles and guffaws. But Alice looked curious, and she held up her hands to quiet the crowd. Go on, Tommy. He was nervous now with the spotlight on him, but he continued, I know when I have a tummy ache, the last thing I want to do is eat anything. At my birthday party last year, I ate two huge slices of chocolate cake, and I felt so sick I couldn't eat anything for the rest of the night. Maybe we could give him a big piece of cake, though I don't think we have an oven that big, or uh, maybe an enormous candy bar, or maybe... And he trailed off. It was a silly idea. But Alice finished his thought. A giant milkshake. The biggest milkshake you've ever seen. And then she pulled out her journal. The villagers may have laughed when young Tommy suggested it, but Alice was their leader and the smartest person they knew, and Alice's journal so many years ago brought such wealth and prosperity to the village, they had no choice but to believe in her. If we're going to make a milkshake, we need milk, exclaimed Margaret. A hundred gallons at least. And sugar, cried William. Three wagons full, for sure. And ice! And more shouts came as excitement grew among the villagers. A giant-sized glass! A straw to slurp it down! Whipped cream!
They sat in that gazebo until the wee hours of the morning, trying to figure out the very best way to make a milkshake big enough to give a giant a tummy ache. No idea was too silly, no suggestion too foolish. They wrote them all down in Alice's journal and crossed out most of them and came up with better ones. And by the time the sun rose at the top of a fresh sheet of thick white paper in the journal written in Alice's neat flowery script were the words, the milkshake trap. And underneath, step one. Now let's get to work, Alice cried. And the villagers cheered and began to do what they do best. They worked together. At the edge of town was a forest, and right next to a sign that bore the name of their village, there stood a particularly large oak tree, six feet across and twenty feet high. The builders of the village sawed off the top and hollowed out the inside, and after two days of working day and night, they had a giant-sized glass. That was step one. Step two, the children knocked on every door near and far and collected every last drop of milk, every last grain of sugar, and every last cube of ice in the village. The people were happy to share all they had to save their garden. Step three, the athletes and the cooks worked side by side, smashing every last bit of ice with baseball bats into teeny tiny pieces and measuring all the ingredients, adding them one by one to the hollowed out tree. Step four was turning all those ingredients into an actual milkshake. That took some clever thinking, and it was Tommy's grandfather, who was an engineer, who invented a solution to that problem. Inspired by his grandson's love of bicycles, he built a contraption, a system of pulleys and bicycle wheels lowered into the tree of milk and sugar and ice. And when he began to turn the pedals, the wheels spun, and the harder he pedaled, the faster they moved, and the villagers watched in awe as the milk began to churn and turn foamy, and then finally into a thick, creamy milkshake. They needed a straw, and that was, of course, step five. So it was quite fitting that five-year-old Belinda figured out that solution, shyly telling Alice that the wooden tube slide at the playground looked just like a straw. So the artists of the village painted pink and white stripes around the slender tube, and the mechanics dismantled the slide, and the villagers with the biggest muscles carried it across town, up a tall ladder, and plunged it into the giant frosty milkshake. Then they carried buckets of whipped cream up the ladder to pile on top, and finally the finishing touch. They picked a perfect candy red cherry from their orchard, the size of a basketball with a long stem like a strand of licorice. And they carefully passed it up the ladder and balanced it on top of the whipped cream. There was only one last step in Alice's journal. Step eight, the final step. Alice herself carefully spelled out each word with her tidy cursive upon a sign that read, Vanilla milkshake, not for giants. Just as Alice nailed the sign to the tree to the applause of the exhausted villagers, Tommy came riding up on his bicycle. He had been keeping watch for Grash a mile down the road. He's almost here! 
Tommy shouted, winded from riding so fast. And he looks hungrier than I've ever seen him before. And sure enough, when they looked off in the distance, they saw the silhouette of the giant, small against the landscape, but growing larger with every second. Quickly, hide in the woods, Alice exclaimed, and they all ran for cover behind the trees and held their breath. Within minutes, they heard Grash approach, whistling a rather nasty tune, his footsteps heavy upon the earth. The whistling stopped when he saw the milkshake, and he bent low to look at the sign. What is a vanilla milkshake? He wondered aloud. And then he saw the second part of the sign, and his face grew dark, and he shouted angrily, Not for giants! Oh, and he cackled loudly, and the ground trembled, and the treetops shook. The villagers cowered behind their trees, wondering if their plan would work. And then Grash, as if daring someone to stop him, leaned down and took a big sip. And then his eyes lit up. And he took another long, loud slurp. Yummy! he roared, and the villagers watched from behind their trees as he drank the whole milkshake. And when it was gone, he yanked out the straw and licked it clean and stuck his head inside the tree to get every last bit. I love milkshakes, he shouted. And now, on to the garden. He took a step. And then he paused. The villagers heard a long, loud gurgle coming from the giant. Grash put his hands on his rather round belly and began to frown. There was another, louder, longer gurgle. Owie, he said, confused. And then he sat down. And then a tear trickled down his large face and he began to cry. My tummy hurts he said between sobs, and he laid down on the ground and curled into a ball, clutching his stomach. The villagers looked at each other, still silent and hidden from view. They knew they should feel victorious. Their plan had worked. But watching the miserable giant in so much pain didn't feel like victory. They watched as Grash cried and moaned and rolled on the ground, his tears soaking the earth beneath him. The villagers felt so bad, they didn't even notice that Tommy had disappeared. Until several minutes later, when they spotted him biking furiously back from the road that led to their village in the gardens. A wagon was attached to the back of his bicycle, and inside there was something large and brown. Tommy rode up next to Grash and got off his bike. Grash looked up at the boy, big fat tears still leaking from his eyes. My tummy hurts, he said again. I know, said Tommy quietly. Eating too many sweets sometimes makes your tummy hurt, but I have something that might help. 
and from the back of the wagon, he removed a large, wrinkling knob of ginger root. He buckled under the weight of it, but his grandfather ran out from behind the tree to help him carry it over. Chew on this, and it will help settle your stomach, he said. When I got a tummy ache from eating too much chocolate cake, my mother made me ginger tea, and I felt so much better. Grash sat up and began to nibble on the pale yellow flesh of the ginger root. Then Alice came from behind her tree. Cool water also helped settle the stomach, she said, and several more villagers emerged and they grabbed the buckets that had held the whipped cream. There's a stream nearby, we'll fetch some for you now. And soon everyone was standing around the giant, offering advice and words of encouragement. After chewing on the ginger and drinking many buckets full of water, Grash began to feel a little better. There was a word the humans used in this type of situation, he thought. It wasn't a word giants typically used, so he had to think very hard before he figured it out. Thank you, he said. And though the words felt strange on his tongue, he found he kind of liked them. And because it felt so good to say, he uttered another phrase he'd never said before. I'm sorry I was going to eat all your fruits and vegetables. I just get so hungry sometimes. And he sniffled again just thinking about it. And I'm sorry we gave you a belly ache, said Alice. If only we had a bigger garden, you could eat as much as you want. And then an idea struck her. She grabbed her journal and began to sketch and make notes. The villagers and Grash watched her, intrigued. Finally, she turned the notebook around. She had drawn their village and all their fields, but she had drawn more than that. Their village was surrounded by miles and miles of farmland, endless fields of rich brown soil just waiting to be turned into gardens but they had never had the manpower for that. Or, said Alice slyly, the giant power. Grash, have you ever tended a garden before? So Grash came to work in the garden. The villagers built him a giant-sized watering can, and suddenly, instead of taking ten villagers an entire day to water the fields, it took Grash one hour all by himself. He plowed ten new fields before the sun set on his second day. He could harvest a whole crop of carrots before his morning tea without breaking a sweat. Their gardens soon stretched for miles in every direction, and soon they were producing 100 times the fruits and vegetables. They had more than enough food for every giant at the market, and they never ran out of apples, so there were never any fistfights. And there was no need to keep their village a secret. Grash learned how to smile more and became less grumpy especially when Stanley's bike shop surprised him with his own giant-sized bicycle, shiny red, just like his best friend Tommy's. Every day he worked with his friends in the garden and filled his tummy with the freshest fruits and vegetables, and yes, every so often, he shared a vanilla milkshake. 
a not-so-giant-sized one so he didn't get a bellyache, with Alice, who was teaching him how to be a horticulturist. Oh, and one very last thing, perhaps the most important thing of all. They all lived happily ever after. The End Hi everyone, we hope you enjoyed The Milkshake Trap. This is Eric, and I had so much fun writing the music for this story. I can't wait to see what Asa has in store for me next. Please make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss our next story. Thanks as always for joining us at The Listening Pond, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.